This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to our program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church Christ, Moody, Missouri. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. In our studies of Job, today we want to look at Job's response to Eliphaz in Job chapters 6 and 7. You know, Job has undergone terrible calamity in his life. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his children. He's lost his health. His wife has told him to curse God and die. He's in misery. He wishes he had never been born. And then Eliphaz comes along and he accuses Job of being an evil and foolish man because of all the suffering he's going through. Eliphaz believes Job is being punished by God and he needs to repent. And then at the end of Eliphaz's speech, he affirms to Job that what he has said comes from not only himself, but the other two friends, their past experience and their wisdom, and that Job needs to listen to their advice and do it. Well, in Job chapters 6 and 7, Job expresses his disappointment in his friends, and he appeals to God about what is happening. First of all, in Job chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, Job wants to be treated justly. He wants to be treated fairly. If his friends would weigh his suffering against the calamity he was enduring, they would not accuse him this way. And that's what he says in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, it says, but Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were throughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances together. Now Job desires that his sorrows be accurately estimated because his friends had not understood the extent of his sorrows. Job wanted his friend to understand that extent of his sorrows before they condemned him. Now, Job does admit that his words had been rash, but he said what he did because of the burden he was bearing. It was heavier than the sands of the sea, chapter 6, verse 3. But now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea, therefore my words are swallowed up. Uh, the American Standard Version renders the verse this way, For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea, therefore have my words been rash. The literal translations puts it this way, For now it would be heavier than the sand of the seas, on account of this my words have been rash. Well, the word translated swallowed up there in the King James Version and rash in the literal and the American Standard Version is the Hebrew word luah, L-U-A, and Strong says it means to gulp, figuratively to be rash. So Job is admitting that some of the things that he had said, they were rash. And in verse 4, Job contends that God has fired poison darts into him, and he doesn't understand why. Job 6, verse 4. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. 
the poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. Adam Clark in his commentary on Esword made this statement, and I quote, There's an evident reference here to wounds inflicted by poison arrows and to the burning fever occasioned by such wounds, producing such an intense parching thirst as to dry up all the moisture in the system, stop all the salivary ducts, thicken and inflame the blood, induce putrency, and terminate in raging mania, producing the most terrifying images from which the patient is relieved only by death." Unquote. In the Bible Illustrator, also out of Esword, I find this quote, The God with whom he supposed himself to be at peace suddenly becomes an angry, incomprehensible power, blighting and destroying his servant's life. Existence poisoned, the couch of ashes encompassed with terrors. Is it any wonder that passionate words break forth from his lips? A cry is the last power left to him." Unquote. Now Job is not blaming God, but he is attributing what is happening to him to God. Job is just saying here, that's just the way that it is. Well, in verses 5 through 10 of Job 6, Job says he has a right to complain about what's happening to him. He says in verse 5, the donkey and the ox complain when they're in want. Doth the wild donkey bray when he hath grass, or loweth the ox over his fodder? Adam Clark, there again, quoting him, the wild donkey will not bray, and the ox will not low unless in want. If they have plenty of provender, they are silent. Were I at rest, at ease, and happy, I would not complain. Unquote. So Job is saying that it is just natural for him to cry out. You know, I am in want, I am in misery, and the donkey would bray and the ox would low if they were in want. So he says it's just natural for me to do that. And Job says that what he is enduring is as unpalatable as the white of an egg, verse 6 of Job 6. Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Is there any taste in the white of an egg? Uh, Dave Miller in class notes made this comment, and I quote, I have every right to express my suffering as I do to loathe distasteful food, unquote. And then Eddie Kraft in the 16th Annual Spiritual Sword Lectureship book on page 72 made this statement, Eliphaz's counsel is tasteless. It lacks the salt of sympathy, unquote. So right there, Job is just saying, <laughs> I have a right to complain. You know, I would complain about unsavory food. I would complain about not having anything. And then in verse 7, Job describes his suffering as loathsome or sorrowful food, which represents what he is now experiencing. 
Job 6, 7. The things that my soul refused to touch are as sorrowful, or excuse me, are as my sorrowful meat. Albert Barnes in his commentary on Esword stated this, his calamity is described under the image of loathsome food in accordance with the oriental usage, by which one is said to eat or taste anything that is to experience it, unquote. So Job is experiencing these things just like he would eating the whites of an egg. And imagine if all you had to eat was the white of an egg. Well, in verses 8 and 9 of Job 6, Job makes a request of God to let him die. Job 6, 8 and 9. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Again, quoting Adam Clark, as Job had no hope that he should ever be redeemed from his, pleasant help, his present helpless state, he earnestly begs God to shorten it by taking away his life. Again, Job is not blaming God. He does think God is behind this. Well, we know that Satan is, but Job didn't know that at the time. And he makes this request of God. Just let me die. Well, Job takes consolation in the fact that he had not betrayed God's trust in verse 10. Then should I yet have comfort. Yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. The word harden there from the Greek word salad means to leap, jump, spring, leap for joy. And the literal translation states it this way. And it is yet my comfort that I would exult in pain not spared. For I have not hidden the words of the Holy One. Again quoting Adam Clark. To know that I should shortly have an end to my miseries would cause me to endure the present with determinate resolution. Let him not spare. Let him use whatever means he chooses, for I will not resist his decree. He is holy, and his decrees must be just." Unquote. Well, in verses 11 to 13, of Job 6, Job does not know how long he can hold up through such great suffering. In verse 11, Job just states that he has no hope of recovery. He says, What is my strength that I should hope? And what is mine end that should prolong my life? That I should prolong my life? Well, Job wants to die before his confidence in God dishonors him. He does not want to dishonor God. He does not want to lose his confidence in God. And Job understands that his body is not indestructible, Job 6.12. Is my strength the strength of stones? Is my flesh of brass? 
Well, Job is suffering because his body is not made of these lifeless matters that have no feeling or this lifeless matter that has no feeling. Job is made of flesh. And Job sees his only help is in himself. Verse 13, he says, Is not my help in me? And is wisdom driven quite from me? Again, going back to Eddie Craft and a quote there in the Spiritual Sword Lectureship book, uh, 16th Annual there, and I quote, All the help that he has is himself. Property, children are all gone. His wife speaks as one of the foolish women. His friends had turned against him and seemingly had been forsaken by the Lord. How long can he hold up to this kind of pressure? He cannot take it forever. Think about the misery that he is in in making this statement. And then in verses 14 to 20, Job rebukes his friends for not showing him proper kindness, especially when his faith was being sorely tested. You know, instead of giving him sympathy, Job's friends attacked him. Verse 14. To him that is afflicted, pity, the American Standard Version says, kindness should be showed from his friend. But he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. Again, quoting a uh, quote from Dave Miller in the class on Job. You need to sympathize me, not attack me. You cause me to do what you accuse me of. Lose my fear of the Almighty, unquote. You see, the attack of Job's three friends could cause Job to do what Satan wanted Job to do. Curse his God and die. Curse God to his face. And that's what Satan wanted him to do. And Job's friends in what they are doing are pushing him that direction. Well, Job says that his friends are like wadis, that is, uh, that promise fresh water, they're refreshing, but they're dry. Verse 15, my brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook, and as, a, as the stream of brooks, they pass away. The word translated brook here, the Hebrew word nakal, according to Brown Driver Briggs, means a torrent, a valley, a wadi, a torrent valley that refers to desert wadis, which gush as a torrent when it rains, but they dry up when the rain is over. Job's friends are like a dry riverbed. They promise a lot, but there's nothing there. Well, Job then says his friends are like water that is frozen in the winter, but soon melts and is gone. And that's Job 6, 16 through 18. It says there, which are blackish by reason of the ice and wherein the snow is hid. What time they wax warm, they vanish. When it is hot, they are consumed out of their place. The paths of their way are turned aside. They go to nothing and perish. 
So Job's friends, their comfort amounts to nothing better than a dry riverbed, than water that is frozen, hidden by the snow. There's no comfort there, no refreshment there. He says in Job 6, 19 and 20, his friends are like travelers that come to a stream expecting to fill their containers or barrels or whatever it may be with water, but find nothing but a dry a bed, dry bed, verses 19 and 20. The troops or the caravans, the American standard there says, of Tima looked and the companies of Sheba waited for them. They were confounded because they had hoped. They came thither and were ashamed. You know, ashamed there means to blush, to be ashamed, disappointed, cause to the shame or reproach. In other words, these caravans or these travelers came to this stream expecting water, but there was nothing there. Just as Job's friends, Job was expecting compassion and kindness, but there was none there. Well, in verses 21 to 23, Job tells his friends that their knowledge of his situation is not right. It's incorrect. It's wrong. Job's friends saw the shape he was in and were afraid. Job 6, 21. For now ye are nothing. Ye see my casting down and are afraid. Wayne Jackson on page 37 of his work, The Book of Job, made this comment, and I quote, Deceitful indeed have they been, and of no help. In fact, they have been terrified of him, unquote. So Job's friends were like that dry stream. They were useless. And then they saw the things that were happening to Job, and they didn't want to get too close to him. Same thing might happen to them. Didn't want to get too close to him. Well, Job had not asked for any help from them, and he tells them that in verses 22 and 23. Did I say, bring unto me, or give me a reward, give a reward for me of your substance, or deliver me from the enemy's hand, or redeem me from the hand of the mighty? Job saying he didn't ask for any help from them. So why did you come? You know, your intention, their intention was to come and to, again, comfort Job. They expected to do with that. They expected to do that in chapter 1, verses 11 to 13, but they hadn't done it. They, they were useless in bringing Job any kind of comfort. Well, Job then challenges his friends. Give me the proof of where I have offended God. In Job 6, 24 to 30. First of all, Job tells his friends to tell him the truth. Tell me where I have sinned, is what he said. Job 6, 24. Teach me, and I will hold my tongue and caused me to understand wherein I have erred. Again, quoting Albert Barnes, there we go, Albert Barnes from Esort, quote, I would willingly sit and listen where truth is imparted, 
and where I could be enabled to see the reason of the divine dealings, if I could be made to understand where I have erred, I would acquiesce, unquote. So you, you tell me, tell me the truth. What have I done? And I'm going to listen. Well, words of truth are forcible, yes. But the words of his friends prove nothing. Verse 25. How forcible are right words. But what doth your arguing reprove? In other words, Eliphaz's reasoning was defective, so really his conclusion proved nothing. You know, you say that uh, you've you searched it out. You know, verse 26 and 20, or verse 27 of chapter 5. Lo, this we have searched it, so it is. Hear it, and know it's for thou, uh, thou for thy good. Well, that didn't prove anything. And Job is here in verse 25 maintaining his innocence. So Job asked his friends if they accuse him of sin because of what he said earlier. Verse 26, do ye imagine to reprove words and the speeches of one that is desperate, which are as wind? You see, Job was complaining earlier there because of the bitterness of his heart and the despair of what's happening to him in his life. He's saying, give me some slack here. Uh, Albert Barnes, quoting him, said, Do you not know that one in a state of despair utters many expressions which ought not to be regarded as a result of his deliberate judgment? Unquote. Yeah, he's admitted that he said some rash things. And he said, you know, I've said these things. That I've, I'm desperate. I'm in bitterness of heart because of what's happening to me. Again, cut me some slack here. And then Job compares his friends to one who is heartless and would be and would uh, would be take from the orphan children of a debtor. Verse twenty seven. Yea, ye overwhelm the fatherless, and ye dig a pit for your friend. So what is he saying there? Dig there, the Hebrew word kara, Strong says properly to dig, figuratively to plot, generally to bore or open. So what Job is accusing them here of is plotting against Job as a hunter would dig a pit for a wild animal. And he's telling him there, you would cast lots, is what the American Standard Version says, on the fatherless, the orphans. You would, you would try to buy an orphan. Well, you're plotting against me, he's saying. And then, in verses 28 to 30, Job insists he is not lying to them, and they need to revise your opinion. Verses 28 to 30. Now, therefore, be content, look upon me, for it is evident unto you if I lie. Return, I pray you, 
let it not be iniquity. Yea, return again my righteousness is in me. Or is it, let's see. But return, I pray you, let it not be for iniquity. Yea, return again my righteousness is in it. Is there iniquity in my tongue? Cannot my taste discern perverse things? You know, Job is telling his friends, you can see for yourselves if I'm sincere or not. Adam Clark, there on verse 29, where he says, return, I pray you, let it not be, uh, let it not be iniquity. Yea, return again, my righteousness is in it. Adam Clark says of that verse, and I quote, Reconsider the whole subject. Do not be offended. Yea, reconsider the subject. My righteousness is in it. My argumentation is a sufficient proof of my innocence, unquote. And then Clark, quoting on verse 30, that says, Is there iniquity in my tongue? Cannot my taste discern perverse things? He states this, and I quote, Am I not an honest man? And if my in my haste my tongue had uttered falsity, would not my conscience discern it? And do you think that such a man as your friend is, such a man as your friend is, would defend what he knew to be wrong? Unquote. He's just basically saying, "You know me. You know me. You know what you said's what you said's not right." And then we go to chapter 7. Job describes his helpless and hopeless state in verses 1 through 6. In verse 1, Job looks forward to the time of his death. He says, Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hireling? Uh, appointed time from a Hebrew word Shaba to Shaba and Brown Driver Briggs says that means that which goes forth army war warfare host so the literal translation translates the verse this way is there not a warfare to man on earth and his days like the days of a hireling so what does that mean Albert Barnes puts it this way, and I quote, Here it means that man on the earth was enlisted, so to speak, for a certain time. He had a certain and definite hard service to perform, and which he must continue to discharge until he was relieved by death. It was a service of hazard, like the life of a soldier, or of toil, like that of one who had been hired for a certain time and who anxiously looked for the period of his release, unquote. So Job is looking forward to the time of his death. He then says that his days are like a hot worker looking for a shade and, a, and the hireling desiring his work to be finished, Job 7, 2, and 3. As a servant earnestly desiring the shadow, and as a hireling looking for the reward of his work. So Job is longing for the day his work would be done on his earth and he could have comfort, that way being his death. 
Joe considered his life to be hopeless, and he had had months of pain and agony, and there was no comfort to be found in his sleep. Uh, the Bible illustrator makes this quote, and this is from Esort as well. These months of agony, or excuse me, months of vanity revealed the energy of Job's endurance, unquote. Job has gone through this a long time. Well, in verse 4, Job says that even his rest is disturbed. Job 7, 4. When I lie down, I say, when shall I rise and the night be gone? And I am full of tossings to and fro until the dawning of the day. Job is in misery. He couldn't get any rest at night. He had no escape from his disease in the daytime. Constant misery. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 67, and it gives a good description of how Job felt. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 67. It says, In the morning thou wilt say, Would God it were evening, or even. And at even thou shalt say, Would God it were morning. For the fear of thine heart wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see. Of course, that's a curse for disobedience back in Deuteronomy. But Job is experiencing this. Adam Clark says, and I quote, Job represents the thread of his life as being spun out with great rapidity and tenuity and about to be cut off. Continuity there means thinness. So Job felt his life is coming to a quick end. It's hopeless. Well, I think I skipped verse 5 there in chapter 7. No, I didn't. Chapter, five, chapter 7, verse 5. It says there, My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. So Job describes the accumulating filth that comes with his disease. Job's body was exposed to the open air, and insects lay their eggs in his open sores. Clods of dirt would form on his open sores, and they broke open and would run, collecting the dust and housing the worms. Job thought he was in the hand of God, but he was in the hand of Satan. And in verse 6, he says that his, his, he's coming to an end. He's hopeless. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They're spent without hope. So again, his life is being spun with great rapidity. He's about to be cut off. He's about to die. And then in Job chapter 7, verses 7 to 21, Job turns his attention to God. In verse 7, he begins to reason with God. Job 7, 7. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eye shall no more see good. Job does not expect to enjoy life again before he dies. 
And our lives are compared with wind that comes and soon goes away. Go to Psalm 78, 39. Psalm 78, 39. That verse says, For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Job felt that. He understood that. And Job expected to be cut off from this life. Job 7, verse 8. The eye of him that has seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. You see, Job is saying, God would see me no more, and Job's friends would see him no more. So he tells Job, he tells his friends there that they can see him now, but I'm nothing but a dead man. Nothing but a dead man. Job says his life is like a cloud that disappears and is seen no more in Job 7, 9 through 10. He says, as the cloud is consumed and vanisheth away, so is he that goeth to the grave, down to the grave, and shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. Well, when he goes to the grave, this is the uh, word Sheol, which refers to the Hadean realm. And when we enter the Hadean realm there at death, we are seen no more on this earth. You know, the grave there is translated from Sheol, and this is Strong's definition. Hades, or the world of the dead, as if subterranean retreat, including its accessories and inmates. So it seems like Job is here considering this to be unjust. Be unjust. And Job concludes this thought with his determination to let his complaint be known. Verse 11 of Job 7. Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Again, quoting Dave Miller from the class on Job. You guys will not keep me quiet. He is a principled man who's been backed up against the wall and will speak the truth. But you'll notice that Job is not complaining just to his friends. He's complaining to God also. In verse 12 of Job 7, he asked God, Why are you constantly harassing me? Job 7, 12. Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest watch over me? So Job is asking here, asking God, if he's a body of water that needs to be guarded to keep in his place, or a whale that needs to be kept in check. The word whale there from the Hebrew word taniim, Brown Driver Briggs gives this definition, dragon, serpent, sea monster, dragon, or dinosaur. Sea or river monster. So you could say Job is saying, Am I am I a dinosaur? 
that you have to keep me in, in control? Why are you doing this to me? And then God, accuse, excuse me, Job accuses God of pursuing him in his dreams. Chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. When I say, my bed shall comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. Then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions. So Job is here saying, whenever I, I think I'm going to get some rest, God gives me nightmares. Again, Job was in constant, consistent agony. And again, Job thinks that God is behind this, but that gives us some insight into what Satan is willing to do to try to turn a human being away from God. And again, how many times have you seen people blame God for something that happens in this life where they should be blaming Satan? Well, why did my child die? Why did I get cancer? Why did my why did this happen? Why did that? Why did God allow these things to happen? Well, maybe maybe it's Satan behind it, not God. I've got a brother that he's crippled. He fell whenever he was about 20, 21 years old. I wasn't very I, I was one or two years old when this happened. He fell from a highline pole, and he used to be a faithful member of the church, but he's turned away from God. And he just simply stated one day to me, where was God when I fell from that pole? Well, from my understanding, the electric shock he received while he fell killed him. And when he hit the ground, it started his heart beating again. Where was God helping him live through it? Where was God sending his son to die for us? That's where God was. Well, <clears throat> in Job 7.15, Job said he prefer, prefers a death by choking rather than living. In verse seven, chapter 7, verse 15, So that my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than my life. Now Job is not going to strangle himself. He doesn't want someone else to do it, but he thought his disease would do that for him. Shortness of breath, in other words. Hard to breathe. He feels like that his disease is going to kill him in that fashion. So in chapter 7, verse 16, Job just asked God, Leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Verse 16. I loathe it, that being his life. I would not live always. Let me alone, for my days are vanity. Job tells God, he knows he's not going to live forever. So don't expend so much effort on me. Albert Barnes there says of the verse, of the words, their days are vanity, and I quote, they're nothing 
and they're unworthy the notice of God. Life is trifle, and I'm not anxious that it should be prolonged. Why then may I not be suffered to pass my few days without being thus afflicted and pained? Unquote. In other words, he's, Job is saying, God, I'm not worthy of your notice. My life is just trifle. I don't need it to be prolonged. Why don't you just allow me to pass what few days I have left without being so afflicted and in so much pain? Well, Job knows that God sees all that Job does. So he asks, why do I merit this torture? In Job 7, 17 and 18. He says, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, and that thou shouldest visit him every morning, and try him every moment? Well, Psalm 8, 4 says about the same thing, but with a much different meaning. Psalm chapter 8, verse 4, the psalmist said, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? And Wayne Jackson, on this statement here that Job made, and then what we just read in Psalm 8, 4, makes this statement on page 38 of his work, the book of Job, and I quote, The contrast, though, is vivid. The psalmist wonders what there is about man that causes God to be so, uh, to so benevolently smile upon him, while Job asks, what is there about man that makes God hound him so, unquote. Job felt like he's being hounded by God. The psalmist is being, God is being benevolent. So Job is wondering there, why are you doing this to me? And then in verse 19 of Job 7, Job says that God will not turn away from him, from him long enough for him to swallow his spit. Verse 19, how long wilt thou not depart from me nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle? Job is saying to God, and this is a quote from Dave Miller's class notes, at least lighten up long enough for me to swallow. Again, you think about the misery that Job is in. But then in verse 20 of Job chapter 7, Job acknowledges that he sinned in his life, but he asks God, why have you made me such a target? Verse 20. I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? Well, God watches our every move. He knows our every thought. We know that from Psalm 139. 
flip over to Psalm 139 in verse 4, and we're going to read down to verse 9, or verse 10, excuse me. He says, For there is not a word in my tongue, but, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset beside, behind me and before, and laid my, thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Verse 8. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, or Sheol is the word here, the grave, Hades, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So God knows our every move, our every thought. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. So Job asked God back over here in verse 20 of chapter 7, What have I done to you? He says, You have made me a mark. The word mark there from the Hebrew word mifka. Strong says that word means an object of attack. Why are you attacking me, he's asking. Well, Job is just weary of his life, and he wants it to end. And then Job asks God, Why do you not forgive me? if sin in my life has caused all my problems. Why won't you forgive me? Verse 21. And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? For now I shall sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. So Job is saying, I know I've sinned, but this, this just doesn't seem fair. Uh, if it's true that I've sinned, why won't you forgive me? Again, quoting Wayne Jackson on page 38 of his work, the book of Job, and I quote, Then with a sharp jab, the patriarch says, I will lie down in the dust, and thou shalt seek me diligently, and diligently is the American Standard Version rendering there, but I shall not be. Verse 21, essentially he's saying, I'll soon be gone and you won't have me to kick around anymore. Job speaks disrespectfully and stupidly, but remember he's talking rashly, Job 6.3, desperately, Job 6.26, and without understanding, Job 42.3, unquote. And we've read some of these. Let's go to Job 42.3 to the verse that Wayne Jackson quoted or referred to there about without understanding. Verse 3, Job is speaking here. Verse 1, tell us, he says, Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me which I knew not. So Job's response to Eliphaz's speech is logical in some aspects of it, but rash in others. Verse 
was what's logical. His friends are not comforting him. They're accusing him. Job doesn't understand why these things are happening to him. And then he begins to question God. Those are some rash things that he stated in questioning God. Well, another of Job's friends is going to speak, and that's Bildad there in chapter 8. Now, how is Bildad going to react to what Job just said? Well, Lord willing, we will discuss chapter 8 next time in the next program. So again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church Christ. I want to thank you for being with us today. I want to invite you to come worship with us anytime you're in the Moody, Missouri area. We're located on Highway E there in the corner there in Moody. Uh, times of services, we meet on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for Bible class, 11 o'clock for worship. Uh, in, during the spring forward time or during daylight savings time we meet at six o'clock on sunday evening but whenever we go back to the regular time we're going to meet at five o'clock sunday evening for worship and then we meet either either time period at six o'clock on wednesday night so thank you for being with us and look forward to being with you next time when you're in moody missouri you're invited to visit the moody church of christ located on highway e in moody missouri the congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Way Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.